Hi, welcome to Stride. We're a free network for women who are starting their career or changing their career. As well as hosting this podcast, we share articles and advice on our website, and we hold quarterly meetups with panel discussions, speed mentoring, and networking. At least we will when the coronavirus restrictions on London are lifted. When you're starting a career, whether you've known what you want to be since you were little or if you're just figuring it out, there can be so many things to navigate. Sometimes it's hard to know what questions to ask, especially if you're the first person in your family to take a new career path. That's where Stride comes in. We seek out inspirational, successful women across a range of fields and ask them about their experiences so you can learn about the challenges and highlights of different industries. Whether you want to be an author, a lawyer, a doctor or a plumber, we've spoken to someone who can inspire and empower you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm Sophie and joining me today is Alexa Schoen. We're going to talk all things job hunting. Alexa is a singer, tech thought leader, a career coach and author and her book Entry Level Boss is out May 14th in the UK. Alexa's worked across Berlin, London and New York in her roles as a senior product strategist at Facebook and in communications consultancy and she even got awarded an exceptional talent visa for the tech industry which the UK gives to just 200 people a year. It's pretty impressive. Thank you Alexa for joining us. You make me feel very famous. I'm very very happy to be here. Hi. <laughs> so your job sounds amazing because you seem to cover so many different things at once and in terms of career coaching you've described yourself as giving people a fitness plan for the process of applying for jobs. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So the way that I started Entry Level Boss, which is the online career coaching education company that I founded a few years back, was quite simple. Many founders go through the process of founding a company because they're trying to solve their own problems. And that's exactly what I was trying to do. I could not get a job to save my life when I graduated from (laughs) university. Whenever I try to explain uh, the problem that I'm solving to other people out in the world, I always say, okay, picture that you just graduated with a 2-2 in geography. They're like, great. And I'm like, you didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. They're like, oh. And I'm like, now what do you do? And they're like, I'd be a bit screwed. And I'm like, exactly. These are the people that I'm trying to help. It is such a behemoth jump to get from academia into the working world. And you and I were chatting about this before we started recording, right? I realized that no one was serving that exact audience. And there is actually a curriculum that should be being taught in career centers or by, I don't know, the NUS or something. And yet for some reason, because the world is changing so quickly with technology, everybody hasn't caught up yet. So I thought I would step forward and say, I kind of have developed a little bit of a plan. If you want to follow me, I think I can help. That's amazing. Thank you. Wow. And so how did you come up with your plan? Like, did you just see what you were doing over time? Or was it something that you one day woke up and were like, wait, I get it now? (laughs) Was it like a divine download that came to me? I was like, oh, of course, here's how career growth works. I've unlocked Uh, it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm so lucky that like Moses came to me. Uh, No. So as stated, couldn't get a job to save my life. And I, to give you a little bit of background context, uh, got an English literature degree for my bachelor's because business sounded boring and English seemed like safe, but not too edgy, but like still artistic. That was literally my my strategy of picking what to do in university. And then I went straight into the most lucrative degree that you can get, which is a master's in jazz performance. 
which I'm sure we might get to later. <laughs> and then I graduated from my master's straight out of my undergrad and I showed up and there's that thing that we say in the world about how this generation is so entitled, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that I was entitled. I just had been taught that I did all the right things. I went to university. I got a master's. So I was even more educated. Yes, it was in music, but still, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I show up on the front door of adulthood and I'm like, cool, where's my full-time job? And it just wasn't there. And so I trial and errored my way through what felt like the first three years of my career, you know, maybe getting a 10 hours a week contract to do something or maybe like a three month maternity leave, but we can't promise you anything, so on and so forth. And I had always been told it was going to be easy-ish, I guess, to get that first job because I was educated and it just didn't wind up that way. So yes, Entry Level Boss was originally created based on all of my mistakes and me literally just being like, I said the wrong thing in an email and no one ever replied back to me. But this week I said the right thing in an email and I had some luck. And so here's these two emails and I put them out in a newsletter when I was like 25. I was like, I hope that helps someone. Oh, yeah. That's super cute. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I love the optimism of all 25 year olds when they're like in a situation that I guess a lot of us at Strider are in where they're just like so fed up with the system and you're yeah. like, I have to do something. But it's so amazing that you've taken it and turned it into something that's so productive. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, the thing that frustrated me so much is that this curriculum should exist. And the thing that made it so disheartening was just like how many grown-ups there were out in the world who had forgotten how awful it was to go through this process. And I had someone recently ask me why, you know, I'm the one who's qualified to give this advice. And I said, I don't know if it's that I'm qualified, but it's that I've never forgotten how scary it is to try to start a career or a career change or whatever. And I remember that fear from my own personal existence. And it's so easy, I think, to go into adulthood and be like, oh, is it? God, why is everyone's CV so ridiculous? And it's like, because no one's teaching. You know that no one's teaching them. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm clearly very passionate about it. Definitely. Obviously, you've got your background in jazz, mm -hmm. uh, which is amazing. Thank you. And you're still singing today. Yep. I so just released a new record like six months ago. Yes. Amazing. Thank Everyone you. should definitely check it out. How do you prioritize your singing career and entry level boss, like how do you manage to balance having multiple, multiple passions? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good question. I think that so many people in our generation have these multiple passions. And I think the thing I would tell to anybody who, you know, hears the fact that I run a company and I'm a jazz singer or, you know, sees about somebody who's an illustrator and also in a band it's never as pretty as you think that is uh, on the outside. And it's not like all these people have magically figured it out and you haven't. And I think what I mean by that is a lot of people see that I have a record on Spotify and they assume that I have a label and that the label paid for that to happen. And that if I'm doing any gigs, I have some publicist who booked me into it and that somehow magically there's this, this ecosystem that exists. When in reality, plenty of people that you see on the cover of Rolling Stone are still working like a part-time job, like secretly doing, I don't know, copywriting for rentalcars.co.uk. <laughs> like, like, uh, the, the real secret of having multiple passions is just to realize that it's not pretty, but you do it anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And so I've got to ask, how did you make the journey from jazz singing to masters you mentioned lots of temping how did you find your way to facebook like how did you 
managed to reconcile mm -hmm. those things. Yes. So graduated with a, a master's in jazz performance and very sweetly and naively went, I don't know, into the working world thinking that I should go into PR because that's what you do with an English major, right? And then jazz <laughs> performance, I was like, well, that was just useless. I'll throw that out. Um, <laughs> and so started in PR. I never wanted to be a journalist. I always liked kind of snappy, you know, writing, I don't know, tweets for companies as opposed to writing long-form journalism, which I realize is ironic now that I have a book coming out. But that was kind of where my, my brain originally went. I was always a strong writer. And so from PR, I thought, oh, I don't really like that. And I wound up getting a community manager assistant role somewhere, right, where I was dealing with the front line of how to uh, basically respond to customers who are, I don't know, sending DMs to a Facebook page or something like that, right? But what's interesting about working in community management is you have to learn all the things that are basically wrong with the product or business that you're working for because you're getting customer service inquiries all day. Mm -hmm. And I got really curious about that side of it. And I realized that there was an entire quote-unquote technical team, uh, which in um, any kind of tech company would be called a product design company or a product management company or a UX company or that kind of department, right? Excuse me, not company. And uh, I realized that they were working all day long on how to make things make sense on the website. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a really cool job. I'm sure that I would have to go back to university for it. Like, I've already studied the wrong thing. Everything is screwed, whatever. But slowly over time, I just kept asking more questions and I started a freelance copywriting career, moved to a new city, and I realized at one point that I wasn't actually doing any marketing work anymore, but I was helping in really niche, this gets so dorky so quickly, so stick with me, <laughs> uh, really niche product design situations where uh, the teams were trying to develop new website pages in English, but then translate them back into Finnish or into Russian or into Spanish, which is a really complicated process of figuring out how you're going to make the websites appear in different languages. Yeah. And I just got really fascinated in this particular version of communication design. Uh, and so the thing that I, I wound up going into when I worked at Facebook was focusing in this specialty version of communication design. Facebook calls it content strategy. They have a giant team of several hundred people who work in this arena and it sort of sits in between product management and UX design and information architecture work. And the thing I always say to, to everybody, which has been true in my own career, is if you just kind of keep following your curiosity and figure out how you could be more helpful and make the company more efficient, that's how I was led on my path from jazz to uh, stumbling into a, a senior job at Facebook. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That sounds like a really rewarding process to have gone through. I guess so in reflection when mm. I say it in 30 seconds. I mean, at the time <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I stumbled into this quite good design career, which was great. But I think back now and I kind of laugh because I was 25, 26 and I, it didn't occur to me that, that anyone had ever done this before because I was the only person I knew since I was freelancing, uh, and in a foreign city. I was living in Berlin at the time. And I wish that we all had magical access to all of the interesting career opportunities that are available to us, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, cause I think you really just wind up stumbling in the dark and some of us get lucky and find something and some of us keep stumbling. Did you come across anyone while you were stumbling in the dark who like guided you in the right direction or was it very much a self-led process? I had a really, really great, 
I guess I would call him manager, but technically uh, he was my client. I was I was doing some copywriting work for uh, a company I was working with in Berlin, a high growth startup, uh, and he came from an advertising background instead of a technical background. And it's an important distinction because he knew that I was creative and had a smart brain and it didn't matter that I didn't know how to code. He still wanted to have me in specific conversations. And so I've worked with him several times now over the course of my career. And he was kind of the first one who made me feel like it was okay that I didn't come from a, a traditional background in order to do this kind of work. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Obviously, you're kind of like guiding a lot of people through your business. Have you found that you've used your experiences in uh, like that kind of coaching way with people who you work with on a day-to-day basis who aren't um, coming to you through entry-level boss? I think that I naturally have always been a mentor to others and it's always been my instinct to figure out how pieces go together. Yes, definitely. I think during my time at Facebook, uh, instinctively wanted to, to coach more junior people in the company. Uh, the last couple of years, I haven't been doing anything except for entry level boss. So it's all been career coaching all the time, but <laughs> I don't know. I personally kind of hate the term career coach and I think there are many lousy ones in the world <laughs> and, and, you know, and maybe good ones like me who get a bad rap or whatever, but um, I think that people who are true teachers and mentors and leaders are always in any situation drawn to that kind of work, aren't they? Definitely. Yeah. I love the phrase that you mentioned in your book about uh, career coaching when done properly being more like giving someone a fitness plan for them to follow. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to speak to that without giving away too much of the book? Yeah, completely. So uh, Entry Level Boss, the book, and also the methodology that I teach people when I'm career coaching is a nine-step process that we have formulated over the last few years about how to go through the job search effectively. Because realize the one problem that people struggle with is not actually the big question of, oh, what do I do with my life? And it's not, how do I format a CV? It's knowing what to do next. Because you face rejection after rejection or you get to a dead end and then you kind of get stuck and you're not sure what to do next. And you combine that with the fact that there are 20 million job postings on LinkedIn and who knows how many on Indeed. And so you're inundated with so much noise and also not really having an idea of how to get through this process. So what we do in Entry Level Boss and the methodology that you learn like in depth inside the book is literally just do this thing today. Okay, now you've done this 45 minutes worth of homework I just assigned you. Now we do this thing tomorrow. Now you've got this. And creating a framework for people to move through that is, yes, as easy as going, you know, to the gym for your 8 a.m. class or like, you know, you're supposed to do five sets of 15 repetitions on a Tuesday night uh, and take out that level of guesswork for people because that is something that people really, really struggle with. Definitely. Yeah can very easily get the information overload when you realize that one recruiter picked up your CV and passed it on to who knows what and suddenly your inbox is full of absolute nonsense that you should Mm. probably apply for some of it. Yeah. It's chaotic. It is. I I love to say that the internet broke the job search because it really did. And for whoever is listening out there, like if you think that it is hard to make a career move, it is not your fault. A cover letter, for example, always was a physical sheet of paper up until 20 years ago that you would like put on top of a CV and put into the mail. And those were the only two documents that anyone would ever know about you because (laughs) they couldn't Google you because what's the internet, right? (laughs) And for some reason, we digitized this process. But to your point, 
Now I have the ability to apply for a hundred jobs a day or 200 if I'm really ambitious, right? <laughs> you as a hiring manager are getting 500 applications. You know, how could we possibly function and find out who's the right person when there's so much noise and static and, and chaos in the system? Definitely. It's, yeah, it's a really difficult process to, to navigate, especially if you don't have the benefit of someone competent or even who's been through a job search recently guiding you yeah i i don't like to speak poorly of of career centers at universities because i genuinely think that they're trying to keep up and do right things but i think that the thing that i you know said to my publishers when i sold the book and and have said to many many people who are older than me over the course of time is you just don't know what it's like to look for a job after the recession, unless you had to go through it yourself. And yes, the economy is in a wildly different spot and we're, you know, it's what, 10, 12 years on from the, the global financial crisis. But so many things changed between that inflection point and the internet becoming a default way of working. If you looked for a job in 1982 and now you've been in academia for 40 years coaching graduates on how to do their CV properly, like I, I know that you're well-intentioned, but you, you just haven't been through it and you don't know how scary it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that will resonate with a lot of people. I hope so. Um, <laughs> and you know what? And for me, it's like, I don't want to go in and blow up career centers. That would be incredibly violent. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I want to create a resource, am creating a resource and a curriculum where we partner, we do already, in fact, partner with career centers and help them to re-educate their staff on how to do the modern job search and how to go through that process because it's something that should be available to everybody. And I guess kind of following along with that, what's your vision for entry-level boss in the next like five, ten years? Mm, oh boy, good question. LinkedIn has a statistic right now that I'm obsessed with, which is the fact that today's graduates, class of 2020, are going to have at least a dozen jobs before they turn 40. Wow. And yeah, we know already that the career ladder is gone and now it's a career jungle gym or like whatever other like crap you've heard on, on some website somewhere. But when you think about how many times this generation is going to be looking for new work, plus the fact that technical skill sets, even if you know Microsoft, right? Like five years from now, we might all be using a different type of, I don't know, word processing software. Or like if you know a coding language, usually you're going to learn another one a year later. Educated used to be this kind of final statement you would get on this path. And now it's going to be kind of a free-for-all of how the hell did my career go in the way that I want it to when you are are not sure what that even means because technology is evolving so rapidly. There's no one on the side of the talent in this ecosystem because recruiters want you to go and work for the companies that they work for, right? Or educators want you to go back and go to school and pay them more tuition money. And so we're kind of building this, I guess, GP for careers, if you would, and like a safe space to come back to, nice. uh, you know, a modern job center that, that is not just for the UK or for your local town or whatever, but like, how do you come back and, and make a call and effectively jump into the next thing that you want to do? And yeah, that's, that's the vision for what we're doing. That sounds incredible. I like to think so. Did I pitch it? Well, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> I guess this is slightly a mean question, but what will it look like when you get there? Like, how will you know when you've arrived? Oh, I mean, I have a, a calendar alarm on my phone. No. Um, 
So I'll just walk into a room and be like, oh, today's the day I, I arrived. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I think for me, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. We have helped several hundred students. There are several thousand students who have, have you know, read the Entry Level Boston newsletter since I started it with my silly emails when I was 25. This book is coming out or will be out by the time this interview comes out. My goal or version of success that I'm trying to get to is that we have a big enough brand presence where people know they have some place to go, which seems kind of uh, like a tricky thing to benchmark, but I want to be in a situation where when the next 23-year-old gets stuck, they, number one, don't feel like they're the only person in the world who's getting stuck, and also they know, oh, okay, like, I can't do this by myself, but I know who could come in help me, and that is the team at Entry Level Boss, right? The same way that if you, I don't know, kept sneezing forever and ever and ever, you'd be like, oh, I should go to the doctor. I want people to know that they can go to the doctor. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess thinking more about the now, Mm -hmm. what is it about working with the Entry Level Boss coaching and I guess, thinking about the process of writing your book as well, mm-hmm. that got you out of bed in the morning. What's been the best part? Oh, what inspires me about my own career path? Yeah. I've always been really, really interested my entire life in noticing, I guess, kind of how silos work and how there are people falling through the cracks. And I think I've kind of alluded to that in different parts of this conversation already where you leave academia and then there's just kind of this like pit of despair and then dot, 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 at some point you figure out how the real world works, right? Like that is my current obsession, but also it could be, I don't know, isn't it funny that that group of people over there are not speaking to this group of people over here and like how all these miscommunications happen. And for me, the thing that gets me so excited about the work that I do now really, truly, it sounds so cheesy, but like is solving this problem of there are all these hiring managers who need to hire great talent. And there are all these job seekers, especially young ones who are so passionate and genuinely want to work hard and they can't find each other. And it's such a, a romantic missed connection story when you think <laughs> of it on this like big level. And I was like, okay, like there's all kinds of people who are making a book trying to teach people like how to hire for your team effectively and blah, blah, blah. But like, I want to focus on helping the other people who are the ones who actually want to, you know, get a good job and they just can't quite give themselves the queer eye makeover that they truly deserve. (laughs) So, so yeah, the, the communication breakdown is I think where I keep getting interested over and over and over. And what's it like when you've been working with someone who's been really struggling and then they get that job that they've been waiting for. Oh my God, it's so fun. It's over the course of several years now, I've gotten just the coolest emails. And sometimes it's just literally in all caps, like, holy shit, I got the job, 75 exclamation points, you know, and they've sent it straight to me because I'm the first person they wanted to tell. Sometimes it's the update. I got a great one recently, an American student, when I met him, had just graduated from college and was working at like the U.S. equivalent of like a Weatherspoons, right? And he was in his parents' basement in Ohio. And he was like, wow, I'm totally living the dream. My life is a dumpster fire. My dream is to move to New York. And so we got him to New York working on this cool contract at Swarovski Crystal. And then he texted me maybe nine months later. And he was like, hey, don't know if you remember me. I'm like, of 
of course I remember you. He was like, just so you know, now I'm working with real diamonds and I just joined the global creative team at Tiffany. <gasps> yeah. Oh my and God. I know. I'm like, you're a genius. Of course, Swarovski to Tiffany. It perfectly makes sense. <laughs> and so to be able to see that trajectory over time, uh, I feel very, uh, like humbled and grateful to just like get to bear witness to people whose lives have dramatically changed course because of what we do. It seems like what you're doing has the potential for the most amazing ripple effect. I hope so. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit. Like last year we had a designer in Chicago who came to us who needed some help. We got her on our way. It was great. And then lo and behold, the next class, another designer from Chicago. And I was like, oh, what are the odds? And she was like, no, no, Bianca told me about you. Like, I've come to you too now. And I'm like, oh, this wow. is like great and exciting, <laughs> you know. And and as a small business, that's the most exciting thing is when your customers are telling other people to to come to you, of course. Uh, but also just these network effects of, I don't know, it, it's sweet if I can picture a world, right, where everybody kind of has the same ethos of how you approach your career and you work hard and you stay humble and isn't that great? And then, you know, maybe two people meet each other in an office 10 years from now and they're like, oh my gosh, you went to entry level boss too, the same way that people would bond if they went to Exeter or something, right? Aww. Like, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's super cool. What's not super cool is saying super cool. <laughs> <laughs> my American is rubbing off on you. I know. Excuse me. I'm, I'm already <laughs> loving it. I can feel the upwards inflections coming in. Apologies. <laughs> no, it's the dream. So I guess, have you found your home? Have you found your niche now? Or are you still thinking that you might get back on the jungle gym? Isn't it so funny how we all are obsessed with happy endings? <laughs> yeah. And so I really specify a difference between happiness and contentment not just in career stuff, but in love, in life, and health, and whatever, right? And we all are taught to be obsessed with happiness, which is a sense of euphoria. But I'm much more obsessed with the concept of contentment, and the way that I describe it in career terms is I can't genuinely think of anything else I would rather be doing. And I think that the vast majority of people are sitting in offices or on their shift at, at Tesco or whatever, daydreaming about all the things they'd rather be doing instead. And I would love for everyone to get into a place like I am with Entry Level Boss and like I, I see many other people in my life where they're like, yeah, this is the project I want to work on right now. And there's not that second thought of dot, dot, dot until I actually get to go work on the thing I want to work on. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I feel like contentment is definitely underrated. It's pragmatic. I really yeah. like pragmatic things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... So many people have fantasies of the dream job, and I think that it's great to have ambitions, and I think that it's great to go towards something that you want, but I find that so many people don't actually get curious about what their dream job actually entails. For example, I find it really interesting now that I'm a published author, or about to be a published author, or will be by the time someone's listening to this. <laughs> how many people send me a DM on Instagram or whatever saying, hey, can you tell me how you got your publisher or could you introduce me to your publisher? And to me, it's fascinating as a career coach because I teach people to really step-by-step -step break down what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And they are so obsessed with the idea of becoming an author that they haven't noticed to even think about the fact that the publishers that I work with only take submissions from agents, which, yes, sounds Ponzi, because I'm like, obviously I have an agent, but it's not that. It's that they haven't broken it down to realize the actual steps it would take to get to their dream job, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and if, if you really are dreaming about it, tell me what the plan is. Definitely. Yeah. 
how early do you think people should start thinking about like how they will break down what they want to do because we get pressured so much you know you're coming up to your GCSEs you've got to think about your options you're coming Mm. up to A levels you've got to think about your options are you going to go to university you're going to go to college what are you going to do like Mm. is there a point where you think it's possible to say I really love art I really love maths I really want to do something that combines these two or do you think that it is better to kind of get your toe in the water and see what you enjoy on a day-to-day Ooh, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, in the UK, especially with the pressure around, are you going to do A-levels? Are you not like that? It puts pressure on people even younger to try to start making these decisions. And so many people are not educated to do so. And that's, you know, nobody's fault. It's just the world changing and all that. I think I wish that we didn't talk about it again, as if it was going to be this like, career that you're going to have for the next 40 years because it's just not the way that the world is working anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we should be educating people, you know, definitely at GCSE time, of, of course, about, okay, like, what is your kind of plan about what kind of thing would you maybe want to spend the first half of your 20s doing and make it a little bit less scary? Because I think Mm -hmm. also people shy away from making any decision if they think it's going to be permanent. Definitely. Yeah. So I guess maybe thinking more at that earliest stage about like the kind of skills that you enjoy Mm -hmm. um, rather than the area that you enjoy using them in. Facebook had this great definition that they teach to every employee on on day one when you're onboarding about strengths and weaknesses. And in career stuff, we're always taught about strengths and weaknesses, right? But in Facebook culture, what that means is that a strength is something that brings you energy and a weakness is something that doesn't give you any energy. So sometimes we have things that we're really good at, math, but you hate it, you know, and I think so many people are taught, well, you got good grades in this, so you have to keep going in this direction. And when people are really stuck on, like, I have no idea what to do, the way that I have them think about a strength is, okay, what's something that brings you energy? What's something that you do when you're procrastinating? Are you on YouTube tutorials about makeup all day long? Or are you obsessed with video games? Or are you, I don't know, cooking in the kitchen? Or do you clean when you're stressed out? Like, what are those natural things that you turn to when you're trying to avoid work? And how could we put more of that into your actual career path? That's a really good idea. Yeah, I got a couple tips. (laughs) You should write a book. I totally should write a book. I love it. How do people react when you give them that idea? Does it blow their mind? I would like to think that I've blown some minds. I think that people put so much pressure on themselves to have a quote unquote official job. Mm. And I know that's what I did when I, um, you know, finished school and then went straight to university because of course I did. And then I just thought that I needed to work in so silly to think now, like insurance or maybe you know, I didn't know numbers very well, so I wasn't going to work in banking, but maybe I should work in uh, some giant corporate version of something, right? And I was trying to pick boring jobs almost on purpose because I thought that those were the most serious official jobs that I could pick. Yeah, the most grown up. Right, exactly. The most grown up (laughs) ones, right? I should do something where I'm wearing a suit. I don't know what that means, but definitely I should be in a suit because that'll be a a good career. Uh, And so I think when I talk about the procrastination thing, you know, or I try to go shock factor and I'm like, marijuana is a multi-billion dollar industry. Have you ever considered that? And they're like, oh, but I mean, of course. I, and I'm like, 
it's legal in a lot of, you know, American states now, obviously. Um, people are trying so hard to stay focused on doing something official that they forget to actually look at their possibilities. And I guess there's similarly this line of like what we think of as work and then you kind of can easily be blind to the stuff that happens to keep our everyday lives going and mm -hmm. kind of things that maybe happen a little bit more behind the scenes like communications, like uh, content design, content strategy mm -hmm. that people just might not know to go and look for. Yeah, and I don't know how we're going to solve that particular problem because there are more and more careers, it feels like, coming into the world every day, especially with technology being just this vast ecosystem that it is now. And I put pressure on a lot of my tech friends to try to go out and explain, like, you don't have to know how to code to work at Google. Like, there's a common misconception that every one of the, whatever, 80,000 employees at Google knows how to code and that's all they're doing when it's so far from the truth. Yeah, it's tricky. How, like, how you possibly figure these things out. Have you come across any um, companies who are, like, doing amazing outreach or anything like that where you thought, wow, this kind of thing can make a difference? Or do you think we're still behind on giving those like more educational opportunities to people who are finding out about careers? I know a lot of companies that are trying to figure it out. <laughs> I will say very, very slowly. I think in the UK, you see a lot of uh, graduate schemes that are trying to figure out, oh, I guess we have only been recruiting from the south of England. Ha, 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 I didn't notice. Like, <laughs> we should send someone all the way to Manchester. And I, I speak very passionately about that because I studied in Leeds. And I'm like, guys, there's plenty of cool people around the rest of this country. But okay, no, that's fine. Just don't go past Highgate. Um, so so I've, got, I've got opinions. But I think there are graduate schemes that are trying to figure it out, and every year I hope to see that it, it gets a little bit better. There are some cool initiatives, for example, actually in the publishing industry that I've been learning about recently. A friend that I work with quite closely, he's actually on my team of agents, he runs this project called Spare Room, which is basically a collaboration with Penguin Random House to help find free housing for interns. Wow. Yeah, and so it shouldn't just be the situation of if you have parents that live in London, for example, which we know is a huge issue with finding internships in the city and what people are paid and living wages and all that. So I think there's these kind of unique things that are coming online. Also, you know, before the internet, it would have been impossible to even run a program like that, right? Because where would you have found people to okay. either house or to be interning or whatever? So things like that I, I see coming online and that gives me hope for the future. Absolutely. And yeah, I guess the more people can have exposure to different career options that isn't going to cost them or isn't going to be beyond their means in some way, like the better can only be positive. I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, people getting experience more quickly as well. I think this idea of interning for six months or something before you make your decision, in many ways, yes, six months of work is very, very helpful, but there are also people out in the world who are, you know, like literally there's some crazy software engineers in San Francisco, of course there are, who like live stream their entire day and they're like, this is what it's like to be a software engineer at Google. Like, I don't know how they get permission to do this filming inside their offices, but probably not getting permission. But my point is that it's easier now to get a glimpse into how careers work if you are smart enough and cunning enough to go out onto the internet and be like, oh, 
what is happening on Twitter? Oh, there's all kinds of journalists on Twitter. I wonder if I could DM a journalist and ask them what their day is like. Like, there are ways to get in touch with people like we've never had before. And part of what we focus on with our entry-level boss curriculum is how can you get access to the information that you need about whether or not you're even going to find this job interesting. And that doesn't mean that you have to go back and get a four-year degree or spend a six-month internship before you figure out the answer. Definitely. And I think I've seen a lot of people kind of finding that taking that route where you have had like a little bit more exposure to a career Mm -hmm. um, leads them into apprenticeships and things where there is more like on-the-job learning. Have you come across many people who've been working with apprenticeships? I know a lot of people in industry, aka grown-ups, who are passionate about the idea of apprenticeships. I know a lot of American universities that are trying to figure out how they make apprenticeships a part of their, you know, four-year curriculum, or maybe it takes four and a half years, but you have six months somewhere. I think that there's a real problem right now in that part of the kind of hangover from the global financial crisis is this crisis that we see with all entry-level jobs requiring one to three years of experience. And it was because when everyone got put out of work, then you had a whole bunch of overqualified people applying for jobs to try to get back into the workforce, Mm. which bumped up the goalpost a little bit too high. And I think that as we're realizing what a problem that is across the world, you know, people are slowly realizing, oh, how do we actually bring more people into the workforce? You know, I always try to tell employers, I'm like, it's great to hire young talent. They're going to be loyal. They don't know any better. They're cheaper than your senior people. Like, and those are kind of silly things to say, but people need to kind of pay it forward to the next generation. And I hope that we see more of that. Definitely. And have you seen difference in how the process of like approaching your first job is between um, male applicants and female applicants or... I identify. Sure. Yes, 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 yes. I think that all entry-level people tend to feel a little bit screwed. And and I've seen that across the entire gender spectrum. But, you know, we see the same thing to be true at the entry level that we do at higher levels, which is women want to really, really, really make sure that they are 100% qualified for a job before they apply. Whereas men have usually been conditioned to kind of go for it and hope that they can kind of make something work. And a lot of the work that I do with women in the first five years of their career especially is about, no, really, it's time for you to not just apply for internships anymore. You're ready for even that first job because they're waiting for someone in the world to give them permission to move up a rank, whereas men tend to catch on a little bit more quickly to the fact that they get to make the calls on how quickly they grow their career. Um. What's the most valuable tip you have for someone who's going alone without the benefit of a career coach or someone as amazing as you giving them that validation and that that boost that allows them to take control in that way? The number one piece of advice, if somebody's out there in the dark, heaven forbid, without a copy of my book, that you should absolutely (laughs) get a copy of my book from Waterstones, Blackwells, whatever it takes, you go out there and, and you do you. But if people are really struggling, the number one thing that I can tell them is studies have been shown that 80% of jobs 
don't actually ever make it onto LinkedIn or don't make it onto Indeed or any of the job posting boards that you're looking at because they all happen through personal networking and personal networks and connections. We could talk all day long about whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, but it is the reality of the situation. And I find that many people hide behind their computers and want to stay safe and their version of staying safe is to just send in online applications and then wait and they wonder why nothing is happening when in reality they're sending in a 100 applications a week to this bottom of the barrel 20% of jobs that are actually online. So networking is not an optional nice to have. It is the only way that you're going to find your way into the career that you want. Amazing. And do you remember like the first time you went networking? Like, I mean, for me, I have a really clear memory of my first like oh, networking tell me, event. Tell me, tell me, I want to hear. Um, <laughs> it was like a sort of um, a graduate business fair type thing. Yes. You go to the fair, you had and a then name afterwards, tag. yeah, you go, you collect your name tag. They're giving out like room temperature white wine. Everyone's yes. wearing. I always talk about the warm shirt in it. It's so horrible. <laughs> Why did none of these people have a fridge? My goodness. So everyone's like drinking this horrible wine. Mm-hmm. Everyone's wearing these like slightly ill-fitting suits. Mm-hmm. Like no one's comfortable in their pencil skirts and heels, but yeah. it's what everyone's like advised to wear by their parents. Yes. You know, you've you've sent a picture of your outfit, and I remember just walking around, and everyone's like, "Oh, so so what? What are you? What are you interested in?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I've got a history degree, so." Um, the past, I'm interested yeah, in the past. Exactly. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know, I'm here to find out. Like, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So that is exactly what terrible networking sounds like. You're exactly <laughs> right. And I think the myth that I'm constantly trying to debunk with Entry Level Boss is the fact that that is the only way to do networking. When in reality, when I say, oh, bad news, 80 of jo- 80% of jobs come through networking, what I actually mean is no, you could literally go find an email address for someone that we need to get in touch with at ASOS because it's your dream job to be one of their full-time on-staff photographers. And you could sneak your way into that system by finding somebody, whether it's their email or DMing them on Instagram. I definitely have done that actually with ASOS employees for various reasons (laughs) in my life. And that is the way that networking works is just figuring out a way from the safety of your own cell phone to get yourself to the top of the pile. And you can drink warm Chardonnay in the privacy of your own home. (laughs) Exactly. Release yourself from that networking hell and the formal arranged. It's almost like speed dating. It's so bad. You know that no one's going to leave that with a job yeah and you know what then that's not to say that that in-person events are are useless a good friend of mine actually who has a book coming out about a month after mine does his name's dr christian bush and he is a professor of serendipity formerly at london school of economics and now at new york university and i quote him in my book and we've spoken back and forth and and he has some great ideas of how you cultivate serendipity in your own life and i think that in-person events still have that magic of sometimes you just don't know who you're going to meet in line for the loser, whatever, and they actually do work at ASOS or, or whatever, right? And, and you can take those opportunities to put yourself out there, but you don't have to wear a pencil skirt if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I wish someone had told me. I know, right? <laughs> number of ill-fitting pencil skirts I oh, have donated to charity Tragic. Shops. So, so upsetting. <laughs> I think I've kept H&M in business. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Haven't we all? (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm just trying to think of where to go next. Um, I feel like we've really meandered all the way through the number of questions that I had brought up for you. 
I guess, what do you find is a good source of work inspiration? You've mentioned Instagram a couple of times. Do you have anyone who you, if you're having a day where you're just like, I want to see someone, some external influence who's going to give me a little bit of magic today, who you go to? I mean, it's such an easy question for everybody else because they can come to me and my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) At Alexa Schoen, we can be friends. It'll be great. But you know what? I actually really love... Twitter. And even in 2020, Twitter can be a dumpster fire. But I think that it's such an incredible place for professionals to be able to network and talk to each other. It's a bit tricky to tell people to get onto Twitter if they haven't been on Twitter before, because it is one of those platforms where it doesn't make sense unless you already know who to who to follow. But if you go and look up like the top 20 Twitter accounts in whatever your industry is, you will find all kinds of weird lists. And sometimes I send people in that direction of like, just go like scam on these people who are, I don't know, bitching about Love Island and yet also giving you really, really excellent tips about how to get into the real estate industry. Like this is what the modern world is like. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) I mean, it's also great if you do ever meet them in line for the loser at a networking event, you know who they wanted to get kicked off. Exactly. It's it's a great in. We all have our opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Finally, you've mentioned, uh, well, you've alluded to this, but when you started out, how did you define success? And how has that changed over time? I don't think that I ever had success defined when I graduated from university. And certainly no one ever taught me how to define it, actually. I think there you know, could be entire curriculums that are yet to be created, whether that's for entry-level boss or, or for somebody else, about how you actually come up with a plan for your life and how you go out and hit those thresholds. I think that I was so much more obsessed with the idea of kind of getting to a place of safety early in my career. And I'm sure that's something I should talk about with therapists for the rest of my life. But like my <laughs> obsession was how do I, you know, keep the same quality of life that my parents were able to give me? And how do I make sure that the next time I go to look for a job, I have the safety of having already had a job on my resume. And that's a very real thing. And I define it in the book and in all of our curriculum as the hireability threshold, because I just wanted to get to the other side of, oh, okay, now I feel like a safe grown-up adult. And now, you know, I get recruiters who are DMing me on LinkedIn, as opposed to me just chasing everyone down being like, please, I swear to God, I could help you. As far as how I define success these days... I think that I'm still trying to figure it out, but I am becoming a bigger and bigger believer in quantifying things. People constantly come to me and they say, I just want a job that makes me happy. I want a job that makes me happy. And I say, okay, like what makes you happy? And of course, people start crying whenever anyone is asked that question. (laughs) But it could be as simple as I want to take a job where my commute is less than 30 minutes. Or I want to take a job in the center of Oxford because I hate going into London every day. Like these quality of life things are just as important as what it says on your business card or whatever. And I don't think enough of us are encouraged to think holistically about, you know, the life that we want to lead. And I want to make this kind of money because I want to give this back to charity or I want to go here on holiday someday. Like those are all reasons to make career decisions. It's not just like what you're passionate about. Absolutely. Yeah. Taking that holistic view is so important and something I think so often overlooked. Yeah. Especially when you're getting that first taste of career advice and, you know, your year eight assembly before you pick your GCSEs and you're almost put into yeah. that linear career path mindset. 
I should go on a year eight tour, <laughs> become like a giant raging celebrity to teenagers across this country. I'm ready for it. Oh, you would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Guess what, fools? It's me. <laughs> I would love to see that. Absolutely. Everyone's teacher standing at the back taking notes like, oh, wow. Tutting oh, at me. Just anything. definitely tutting at me. No, they'd love it. They would love it. <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time today. Obviously, Alexa's book is coming out May 14th in the yes, UK. May 14th available in the UK. All good bookstores. Yep, all good bookstores. I'm going to guess online as well. Absolutely. Various retailers. Yes. Check it out. Go to entrylevelboss.com slash book and you will be able to see everything that you need to know about if I'm speaking across the UK or where you can buy the book, all that good stuff. Amazing. And if you found Alexa's advice inspiring and helpful, as I'm sure you will have done, feel free to connect with her if you want to look into the possibility of getting a career fitness plan. Yes, absolutely. Come to Instagram and hang out with me, Alexa Schoen at Instagram, on Instagram, at Alexa, whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, and then also sign up for the newsletter. Like I said, I've been sending it out since I was 25, kind of documenting my own career growth in real time. And you can get that on the homepage at entrylevelboss.com. Amazing. And not to forget checking you out on Spotify. Oh, yes. Also, 100%. please just put it on repeat and maybe I'll make like a pound 50. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely check it out. Is there anything else that you would like to say to everyone before we say goodbye? Oh, just good luck. And if you are finding career stuff hard, you're not crazy. And uh, I'll say the same thing that I say to everybody when I sign off on all my newsletters, which is I am rooting for you and I am rooting for me also. <laughs> I'm definitely rooting for you as well. Thank you. Awesome. See you next time. Bye. Bye. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify and Anchor and make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter for the latest updates. We're at stride underscore women. See you soon.